My take is that the ad supported is probably, it's probably not as financially attractive, but it's a customer acquisition strategy because you're lowering the price. You're just mm. opening up to so many more customers. So it's just, you know that you have a highly addictive product. So you, like people are going to yeah. keep coming back to you and it's, it's going to be sticky where they're going to keep going with it. And everyone hates ads. <laughs> so they'll be willing to, to pay. Hey guys, welcome to Product Explained, a show where we talk about products and the company's history and strategy behind them. I'm your first host, Jeff Lee. And I'm your co-host, Mike Alcazarin. Jeff, this is the way. This is the way. Today's show, we're talking about Disney+, Plus, a subscription video streaming service. Yeah, so Disney+, Plus, it's pretty straightforward. If you've heard of Netflix, you've likely also heard of Disney+, Plus. Um, but it's essentially you pay a monthly fee and you get access to Disney content. And it's a really fantastic way for Disney to peddle you new content. Uh, content that's available on Disney+, Plus includes you know, Marvel Studios TV shows like The Falcon and the Winter Soldier, which I have yet to see. I don't know if you have, Jeff. Yep, yeah, I've seen it. They're, all the Marvel stuff, I'm still catching up. I think I'm on What If stuff now, but they've done a lot of shows, which is great for the the Marvel fanatics out there. Totally. I think the only one that I've seen on Disney Plus is WandaVision, which I thought was awesome. They also offer Pixar movies like Luca or Soul and Star Wars TV shows that we referenced earlier in the beginning, uh, like The Mandalorian. Uh, they also even offer content like... G- blah, 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 blah. They also offer... Hold on. I need to typo this because I'll forget. They also offer content like National Geographic's Secret of Whales. So if you're really into uh, whales and want to get into that, you can uh, you can do that if you so choose. So outside of the content, which seems pretty straightforward and easy to describe, I thought it was a really cool product feature that Disney Plus has that I wish Netflix has. And they might have it. I just don't know that it exists. But Disney Plus offers a feature called Group Watch. And so what Group Watch allows you to do is you can host virtual movie nights or TV streaming nights with your friends. So you can pause, you can rewind, you can react with up to six friends together, which is really cool. I know that I have only done this a handful of times and my buddy Calvin and I would turn on like the, you know, the same exact file at the same exact time and we would just stream together and it was very, very janky. So this is really <laughs> interesting to me. And I, I'd love to to try this out with like my uh, family, especially as we're all, you know, obviously still month 22 of the pandemic or 21, whatever it is, a good way to connect with people virtually. In terms of Disney Plus's business model, they offer a standalone product for just the access to all the content on Disney Plus, And it starts at $7.99 a month. And if you want to get more value, you can also look at one of the bundle of products that Disney offers. It definitely muddies the water for what you're actually getting. You know, I took three different courses in business school on pricing and we talked a lot about bundling all the time and, you know, how you can extract extra value and all sorts of anecdotes there. But um, if you look at the Disney bundle, you get three different subscription offerings. You get Disney Plus, ESPN Plus, and Hulu for $13.99 per month for the Hulu ad-supported version or $19.99 per month for the ad-free version. So it seems like a buy one, get one deal. So if you look at Hulu and ESPN Plus, they both cost about $6.99 per month. So you're essentially getting ESPN or Hulu for free. Mm. So pick whichever one you want to call it's free. Um, it's it's really, really fascinating like why they do this and you know so, so much to unpack there. I think it, from why they're doing it strategically all the way to just how they've 
positioned Hulu. <laughs> I hate that there's an ad supported version of Hulu at, <laughs> you know, $7.99 a month or $6.99 a month because it's especially because I, you know, I'm so used to Netflix content or any other like streaming content that's ad free. It just feels so invasive to have those ads that I don't ever see myself you know, going down to the 13th, to the, you know, cheaper version of Hulu, just because I, I hate ads. So if Netflix ever decided to do ads or anything like that, or Disney plus, it would be very disruptive to my customer experience. And I'm, I'm sure that they haven't done that because I'm sure the feedback is like that across the way. How would you feel about ad supported Disney plus or Netflix, Jeff? Yeah, I definitely hate it. I mean, it's different now <laughs> that you can afford, quote unquote, afford <laughs> to do ad free before it was like, way more expensive to do ad-free versions of stuff. But if you think about it, if you pay the extra $6 a month and you watch a ton of shows, you're saving yourself a ton of time. So think about if that $6 is worth your time. I think in our case, it probably definitely is. But if you're maybe like a college kid on a budget, it might be cheaper to do that ad-free version. But again, like time is, is still valuable as a college student. But I think what happens more often is people sharing logins anyway. So they would probably mm -hmm. just opt for uh, the more expensive premium version and then sharing it out. I am curious, like Disney and all the other streaming providers, is it, do they make more money selling the cheaper version and doing ads? Or do they make more money selling the premium version with no ads? I wonder if it's a wash because like from their perspective, maybe they don't care. Or maybe it is truly a better product, even though they make a little bit more money for the premium version. So I, I'm not sure, but I think for most people, it makes sense to take the premium version uh, because it's not that much more money. And then you get you know a good bit of value on top of that. Yeah, totally. I think to answer your question of like, is it more profitable or, you know, financially better for the company to do, you know, ad supported or not? My take is that the ad supported is probably it's probably not as financially attractive, but it's a customer acquisition strategy because you're mm -hmm. lowering the price you're just mm. opening up to so many more customers. So it's just, you know that you have a highly addictive product. So you, like people are going to yeah. keep coming back to you and it's it's going to be sticky where they're going to keep going with it and everyone hates ads. <laughs> so they'll be willing to to pay. So my hunch is that they might offer it, you know, maybe cheaper and might lose a little bit, maybe not even lose a little bit of money, but it's just not as not as much profit um, when the ads are really just to cover the, the, the costs. Yeah, that's a good point. Because I think once people get into the lower barrier of entry product, then as they do earn more money or decide that it's worth it for them to spend on this bit of entertainment, then they can kind of grow into the product a bit. And that's a very sound strategy that a lot of people do. I mean, most freemium models are like this. This isn't technically a freemium model, but it is tiered. But pricing is really interesting. Um, I, ha I haven't gone to business school, but I always have thought about like, it's not only driven by price, it's really driven by value. And so when people think about what they pay, they really think about what are they getting in return? And is it worth it for them in particular to spend money on like premium stuff versus, you know, just purely dollars and, and what's cheaper? Totally. And and with like the whole pricing, I think before you can make any pricing decision, you really have to look at like, what's the, what's your end goal of what you're trying to do? Like, are you selling just widgets? Then, you know, pricing, you don't really care as much, just maximize profits. But for this, just because they're, you know, just joining or just, you know, new to the game, you know, Netflix has been around for 10, 15 years. I could definitely see them going lower in the price so they can like acquire customers quickly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, let's talk about how Disney Plus came to be. So it actually originally launched as kind of like this test project called Disney Life in the UK. I'm not sure exactly why they thought that the UK was the best place to start this, but they had chosen a test bed and UK was that test bed. Um, Disney Life launched in 2015 
And around that time, they started exploring different ways to expand their streaming capabilities because, you know, all the other big players were thinking about getting into streaming. I think probably around the time there was like Sling TV, Netflix was a big thing. YouTube had been around for a while. And, and Disney was like traditionally this like big box, like movie and DVD only kind of company and hadn't really kind of transformed their digital business. So what they did was they started by acquiring a minority stake with the option to acquire a majority stake in this technology called BamTech, which was a spinoff of the MLB's advanced media streaming business. So it's kind of a weird outside shot. But yeah, they bought this like streaming technology from the MLB or an offshoot of the MLB. And they eventually did exercise that acquisition option. And now they fully own BamTech. And that's kind of the underlying streaming technology behind Disney+. Plus. So As you know, Disney owns a lot of different things, but ESPN is one of the companies that they own, and they had planned to use a streaming service to bolster ESPN Plus as well as, you know, eventually launch Disney Plus. So streaming both on the sports and then entertainment and, uh, you know, the titles that Disney had owned at the time. So with that acquisition, they had announced plans for their own streaming service. At the time, they didn't have the name Disney Plus yet, but they also said that they were going to end its distribution agreement with Netflix in 2019. So I don't know if you remember the early days of Netflix, but there was some Disney content uh, especially I remember like some of the Marvel movies and stuff were on yeah. Netflix and you, people were wondering what happened? Where did it go? Viewing and streaming rights are really weird. So it's kind of difficult or confusing for people sometimes. Like, why is this movie here in this country and not in that country? It's all kind of legal stuff. So, um, totally. I remember even just like back to the days, like dating myself, <laughs> like back to the days of blockbuster where, uh, Disney actually pulled all of their, like they're old school, like they were like the big thick VHS tapes mm-hmm. because they were going to start rebranding and reselling and remastering all the versions. So I, I remember like talking to like the guy at this guy at Best Buy and or not Best Buy, this guy at Blockbuster, and he's like, "Yeah, like uh, you can't get them anymore because Disney's going to relaunch them and remaster them. So mm-hmm. definitely buy them now because they're going to be valuable in the future." So I, I thought that was really interesting how Disney. So you has bought them all up. You bought all the VHSs <laughs> and the Beanie Babies, dude. <laughs> Beanie Babies ended up being a good investment, I think, right? I don't know. Like, Pokemon cards are the same way. I was like, ah, let's, when I was a kid, let's collect them. And then nobody cared about them for 20 years. And all of a sudden, you can pull a holographic Charizard, you know, yep. 9.5 or above for $100,000 and sell it to Jake Paul. But, you know, 2020 <laughs> is weird. At the time when they were kind of expanding this business, Disney had decided to pivot Agnes Chu, who was previously a story and development executive at Walt Disney Imagineering, over to this new division of streaming which wasn't named yet but was basically disney plus and she was appointed as a senior vp of content and one of her first jobs was figuring out what pieces of content was legally available for the initial pilot stream of disney plus so you know she had to comb through quote binders of pieces of paper with legal deals maybe probably wasn't just her (laughs) but she that was you know under her team's mandate um but basically she needed to figure out what was in or out of disney vault what had recently gone through remastering what was like prime for uh, bringing out into the launch of Disney Plus. And she basically had to brainstorm projects suited for the streaming business. Um, that's so cool. Yeah, that's a big deal. Because, I mean, if you look now, like, basically all the movies are on there. But I remember Disney Channel Original Movies, which was something that, you know, kind of like Disney IP, but meant for television. Mm-hmm. All that stuff was really hard to find. Like, you couldn't really get those videos anywhere or watch those movies. But then they, like, brought those all back out for for Disney Plus. So that was kind of like this, like, injection of nostalgia even before they took on the star wars titles and the marvel titles like disney itself has like a pretty large mountain of content that they can tap into Um, i love that like i I remember just like speaking of like disney tv or disney channel like 
I feel like that was the coolest thing you could have between like sixth grade and, you know, sophomore year of high Mm -hmm. school was like, if you had Disney Channel, it's like everyone's coming over and, you know, we're watching whatever is going to be on there. And the movies that came out, like the, the Disney Channel originals, it almost feels like the, now that I look back at it, like the canary in the coal mine for like that exclusive content <laughs> that would draw yeah. people to the platform that you had to have. Yeah. It was actually really smart of them. I mean, like they had these movies come out maybe like once a month and you know, the smart houses, the brinks, the Johnny tsunamis, like all the different Disney channel movies that came out and like you kind of remember as a kid, but then couldn't really get access to because it was like never really on VHS or it wasn't distributed, you know, widely. Uh, but now you can get access to it. You can watch all those different decom movies. So as Disney was expanded, they had shuffled in a bunch of executives throughout the industry to kind of lead the effort. So they had hired former Apple um, executives, Fox Television Group, and obviously the BamTech CEO was brought on. In 2019, Bob Iger, the Disney CEO, announced that the service would be called Disney Plus and was set to launch in late 2019. Um, so in October, they actually released a video that ran for three hours and 18 minutes on YouTube to showcase their <laughs> launch lineup, which I think is hilarious. Like, they basically yeah. put this teaser video on this, like, you know, com- semi-competitor of theirs uh, and we're like hey come come to our platform instead and disney plus launched officially on november 12 2019 a month later it was discovered that uh, thousands of users accounts were hacked using keystroke logging or info stealing malware Uh, so it effectively took over like a bunch of accounts and uh the information was put to sale on the dark web i actually don't remember this leak no me either um and i don't know when it said thousands i wasn't sure to what order of magnitude like keystroke logging is not super effective for scale. Yeah, it was um, it was really interesting to see that that had happened. I didn't really hear too much about it. Yeah, maybe this podcast will never air because Disney will, you know, send us a uh, yeah season uh, season desist. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, we'll see. Yeah, we can settle Disney. We don't have to put this uh, episode up. It'll just cost you. Uh, so on December tenth, twenty twenty, Disney announced that after a year of launch of Disney Plus, it had over eighty six point eight million subscribers. So that's pretty insane. I mean, that's mind kind of blowing. A cloud of Disney as a large conglomerate. Anyways, it's just kind of this like content titan. In August of twenty twenty one. The CEO of Disney now, which is Bob Chapek, Chapek, hinted that a possible Hulu Disney Plus merger could happen to create an all-in-one streaming service on Disney Plus, which kind of makes sense. They they have like this ESPN Plus thing, and then there's Hulu, which has its own content, and then Disney Plus, which has a separate subset of content, and Hulu does live sports, but ESPN's also a live sports thing, so it's really mm-hmm. confusing. I think just simplifying the offerings could really help people understand the value of their of their offering. For sure. It's so funny just thinking about all of these streaming services because the whole point of the streaming service was, you know, instead of your $100 cable bill, you would just have one subscription bill for the stuff that you actually want to watch. Mm-hmm. And now we've just turned all of the content subscription channels into, yeah, effect- effectively channels that you have to subscribe to. And you're, we're, I feel like we're pushing all the way back up to that $100 price point. You know, if you want to have like Peacock or Paramount and- yeah. Disney and Netflix and Hulu and like, oh my, oh my God, like you're already there. And then I already have, I still have cable. So now I've just like doubled my entertainment yeah. spend. <laughs> so it's like, it, it's super interesting. It's it's funny to look back at, you know, and, and, and Netflix did do that for a little while when they first launched. So um, yeah, so we can talk about who Disney Plus is for. I think one of the things I love about a product like Disney Plus is it's one of those products that has near perfect self segmentation. So Disney can keep creating content depending on who their audience is and what their customers like, you know, and as Jeff mentioned, they have a really strong subscriber rate. So the most recent data in Q4 of 2021 
Um, it's December 5th, 2021 right now. Uh, they have 118.1 million subscribers. And so they launched like pretty much exactly two years ago. And it feels like from a branding perspective and from just like a critical mass perspective, like it already, it's already there. It's like people talk about Disney plus and like Netflix, like all in like the same breath. It's just, mm-hmm. you know, to your point, Jeff was like, it's crazy to see like the Disney machine and how they were able to grow this so, so big in such a short period of time. And I, I think kudos to the, you know, the Disney plus go to market team and what they're able to do with growth. I think it came from a couple things, as I recall, is the first one is it came bundled and still comes bundled with Verizon. So if you are a mm. Verizon phone customer, you have uh, access to, I think, to one, you can create, you basically get Disney Plus for free, which is a really great way to jumpstart subscriptions. I mean, yeah. I don't know, like off the top of my head, like how many, you know, phone subscribers Verizon has, but I'm going to guess it's, you know, more than a third <laughs> of like Americans. <laughs> so that's 100 million Americans that you have access to and you're giving it for free. So I'm curious like what the economics are there. And mm-hmm. again, it, it could very well be just a loss leader for um, Disney because they know that their customers are going to have a very long lifetime value. Like I'm probably not going to get rid of Disney plus as long as they keep putting out really good content. And so, yeah. you know, I'm paying my $80 a year for, let's call it 10 years. So there's $800 per customer. So mm-hmm. maybe they're willing to spend, you know, up to, you know, five, 600, 800 bucks to, to acquire me as a customer. So I love that, you know, launching with Verizon. I thought that was really, really good. And then the second thing that I, you know, want to say kudos to the team from a strategy perspective is launching with an exclusive piece of content, The Mandalorian. So yeah. Star Wars is just such, it's so ubiquitous. It's so like mainstream. It's so cool. Like, it's just like, it's irresistible. So it was crazy to see, like, it basically, I didn't want to not have Disney+. Plus when the Mandalorian came out. Cause I'm mm-hmm. like, I have to do everything in my power to see this show. Right. And maybe I'm just like an outlier. Maybe I'm like the perfect, you know, Disney plus customer. Cause I'm a star Wars millennial nerd. <laughs> like, I, I, I don't know, but I, I thought that was really, really fascinating and really, really smart on part of Disney plus. So if you look at the growth, just, you know, from the Mandalorian, which not a, I'm going to assume that all the growth in that time frame was because of the Mandalorian. So Mandalorian, it was reached or was released in May of 2020. And that coincided with almost a doubling in subscribers. So wow. Disney Plus started with a 33 and a half million subscriber base in the start of Q2 2020. And by the end of Q2, they were at 57 and a half million. And I know I was one of those 57 and a half million. So thank you, Disney. Or you're welcome, Disney Plus. I will accept <laughs> any kind of thank you that you send our way. But just insane to like double. And for context on that growth of, you know, what Disney Plus is today, it's insane. Like Netflix has, I think, like 214, 215 million subscribers globally. And Netflix has been around for like over a decade. Disney is able to hit more than half of that in just two years. It's just crazy and ast- mm-hmm. just absolutely mind-blowing and astounding. And um, I think Disney is so well-positioned for the future with all the properties that they have, you know, from the Marvel acquisition to the Star Wars acquisition to Pixar to, you know, their traditional like Disney. It, it's it's super fascinating. I think they're going to be in a really good position moving forward and it's going to be really interesting to see from a competitor perspective if there's going to be any other company. I, I feel like historically there hasn't been any like content company that has come close to the power of Disney. Um, yeah. 
you know, I mean, even like Universal Studios, like, yeah, has some cool, like, you know, properties Mm -hmm. and yeah, IP, but it's just not all like that cohesive, like story. And yeah, I see Disney like being this like content machine for, (laughs) for years to come. Yeah, I totally agree with you. I think that, you know, being that they were already such a large IP machine, all they really did was they brought on these like really other large bits of IP. And I think like Disney is probably the ultimate fan service company. The whole park is basically an, an ode to fan service, <laughs> right? Like, and then, yep. and then they brought these like very, I'll call them like cult following type titles and IPs with Marvel and with Star Wars. Cult's not the right word because they're large enough, but they really just took that and then they injected it with Disney dollars and then made them these really big titles and these long-term plays both in the in the movie theater and in the park and you know they built star wars land and then they they launched like all these tv shows that are uh star wars related tv shows so it's you know fan service on fan service on fan service um and then so people can get just their i guess their fix right of of content whether it's at home on disney plus in the parks um in the theaters like all these different places and so i do think it's like the saturation of content that the people are looking for when they're like Star Wars fanatics or Marvel fanatics. I mean, mm-hmm. I think one of the biggest things that they've done recently is after they finished, I think it was called Phase 3, you know, they'd done the the Avenger series and then it culminated with Infinity War. They Infinity War Endgame, I forgot which one was last. Endgame, right? Anyways, um <laughs> the one see, not named Endgame. Yeah, clearly, you know, I'm, like, clearly I'm not yeah. a big enough Marvel fan. But anyway, so once they had finished that, they had pivoted into these shows and you know, like we discussed earlier, they had done WandaVision, they had done Loki, they had done What If, they had done Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Uh so there's just all this stuff that they had like released out for people to be able to consume and it's just a super smart play by them. Um well, let's talk about the competitors in this space and let's maybe see who might be able to even scratch the surface here. I think the first and the biggest competitor is probably Netflix. Netflix has done a really great job of original content. I think just from the ground up of sourcing different things. I think the difference is that a lot of Netflix content is just, I would say like very fresh. You know, it's not like they're taking existing things and saying, let's do our, the newest iteration of Spider-Man or the newest iteration of, <laughs> of Star Wars um, or like a one more superhero movie. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So Netflix has done a really good job of just like original titles and, uh, we talked about this in the, in the Netflix episode, but they had really taken just really good writing and then injected it with not even like A-list talent, but a lot of times like up and coming actors and were able to like kickstart their own IP. And I think the, if, if there's anybody that can challenge Disney, it's probably going to be Netflix um, and, you know, in terms of like what they can do. Obviously, Netflix is purely on the content streaming front and they don't have a theme park or anything. Um, but Could you imagine a Netflix, a theme, Netflix park? theme park? Yeah, you just like sit with a VR headset in a on a chair and people serve you popcorn, like robots come out. But yeah, <laughs> I, I would say like Netflix is probably the, the best suited to kind of challenge this title of IP conglomerate king. But it's a very, very, you know, David versus Goliath story. Beside that, there's, you know, other platforms like YouTube and YouTube TV, which is, you know, Google owned. Again, the thing about YouTube is it's, not curated content as much. Mm-hmm. It's people submitting their own content. You get some good, I mean, you get a lot of bad. Um, it's just kind of all over the place. So the kind of cream rises to the top and you kind of hear about the big YouTube stars, but there's a lot of people like you and I that can put YouTube videos out there that nobody would ever watch. And then there's also Amazon Prime Video. And so Amazon has their own service as well uh, to stream videos. They do sometimes license out some other IP and they have some of their own original content, which I think has done fairly decently well, but I would say probably hasn't done as well as netflix or 
uh, Disney Plus as a whole. And of course, I, I have to mention Hulu. Um, Hulu is weirdly part of this bundle with Disney. It's not Disney Plus specifically, but it might become Disney Plus in the future. So we'll see. Hulu how has live sports, Jeff. It does have live sports. <laughs> and so does ESPN Plus. And who knows? Maybe <laughs> we'll have uh, Marvel sports in the future on Disney Plus specifically. Yeah, no, exactly. I, I think that while they are competitors in the sense that, you know, you only have so many hours in the day as a consumer and you have only so many hours in bed that you can watch Netflix or <laughs> Disney Plus or like YouTube or whatever it is. It, but they, they do feel like specific flavors. Like <clears throat> Disney is like that core, like those all those IP that we've talked about from like Marvel to Star Wars to just traditional Disney and Pixar. And Netflix does feel very original. I mean, mm-hmm. there's so many cool Netflix originals from like Stranger Things to like Squid Games to, you know, even like Tiger King. <laughs> but it's really interesting where it's like that freshness I, I really appreciate. I, I think one of the reasons why I haven't watched all the Marvel content is because it feels so stale to me where it's like the yeah. same thing happening over and over again, especially with like the movies where it's just like, you know, the the story arc is like literally the same. It's like, hey, the world's going to end. We need to save it. Oh, we saved it. And there's a little <laughs> bit of tension like all throughout yeah. it. And I know I'm like grossly oversimplifying it. And you could probably say the same thing about Star Wars, but to me it's like that is kind of like frustrating but again like there's so many content there's so many characters in the marvel universe that disney can now pull from that it's uh (laughs) it'd be like it's gonna be a self-repelling prophecy there with amazon prime video it's super fascinating where amazon prime video feels more of like a direct competitor to netflix Mm -hmm. where like they're trying to come up with originals and they're trying to compete I, i think what's kind of curious with amazon prime video is that you get it for free if you are a Amazon Prime subscriber. So it's just one of those additional like value ads. Like, hey, like, you know, not only can I get two-day Prime shipping, but I'm also going to get these really cool TV shows like The Expanse and all of that. Yeah. And then Hulu, I just like am, I just rage on Hulu because the first ever subscription that I had was, uh, I, granted, I didn't even pay for it and I was raging about it, but I had to watch ads. <laughs> I'm like, why, oh. <laughs> so, why is anyone paying for this service that I'm stealing from them? <laughs> And I had to watch ads. So I was very disgruntled with it. Yeah. But cool. Well, we can talk about our thoughts. So I, I can kick things off, Jeff. So on the five-star scale, I'm going to call Disney Plus a, you know, just four, uh, four out of five flat. And the reason why it doesn't get any higher or lower for me is just because it feels, it felt like an inevitable for Disney is like they had all these different like platforms and channels, or sorry, they had all this intellectual property and content that they could essentially peddle to us, us Disney, you know, consumers. Um, it, it felt like it was eventually going to be a subscription service um, and a matter of time. I do have to say I loved their acquisition strategy, loved their go-to-market strategy of, you know, bundling it with Verizon and also the Mandalorian launch. And so I am also a huge Bubba Fett fan. I've read like the <laughs> like all the books from back in the day. Um, so I'm super excited with the upcoming. I think it's coming in like. December 21st. So like, what is that? 15, 16 days away from today mm-hmm. where the first episode of Bubba Fett will, will launch. So yeah, f- four out of five for me, you know, with the pros being go to market strategy and then the cons just kind of being like, I, I kind of like expected this <laughs> to, to come through. Yeah, that's interesting. I'm going to give it a pretty high score of a 4.7. I think that while it was inevitable, we've seen a lot of inevitabilities in the past, like not pan out. I think of like Skype being like the leader of you know, VoIP um, 10 years before Zoom and still not being able to kind of like bring things over the finish line. So I think what Disney did was really impressive. They, 
you know, started with a lot of core IP. They started to acquire other IP that they thought would be relevant for the streaming service. They pivoted into sports and, you know, purchased this sports streaming technology that they kind of injected with Disney dollars and made it into, I guess, the, the core structure of what became Disney+. Plus. Um, and then they went back into the vault and figured out what would people want from previous Disney content that they wanted to show show and share with people. And like you said, like they took something like one title, like The Mandalorian, and were able to double their subscribers and basically catch up with Netflix that had like this 10-year yeah. quote-unquote head start. So I'm like just super impressed with what they've done from a strategic perspective. I don't think there's anything that they really did wrong. Like a lot of the other products that we've talked about, there's some little slip up here or there. But overall, like I haven't really felt like there's something that Disney Plus did that doesn't make sense or that I would have told them to do differently. I mean, like it's Disney, right? I Honestly, if they had done different original titles like they wanted to do this drama or they wanted to do uh, something netflixy i would have been like that's not core to their identity but everything they've done is like it's a marvel title it's a disney title or it's a star wars title or it's a decom technically i guess it's disney but like you know it's all original stuff and they don't kind of branch out and do random things that people don't really understand so i think that their strategy is pretty sound they are pretty direct with their vision and they've tackled it really really well we'll see what happens i think the only thing that i'll kind of take off points for is like what you said this kind of confusion around bundling i mean they have these different companies that are in the in the past have operated in silo and have been mm-hmm. their own different companies and now they're trying to combine them together and disney and espn and hulu so it can, it can get kind of confusing for the end users like us but i don't know i think i'm kind of complaining about you know nitpicking about the little <laughs> things like it's pretty impressive that Disney was able to acquire these companies to begin with. So I'll give them a lot of points for doing what I feel like is pretty impressive feats all the way around. Yeah, I, I guess like I totally agree with all of your points. And I think my low score is just coming from maybe my frustration with the lack of originality, even though it is mm. like original content. It's just like it's not like totally new universes or like they're, yeah. they're just kind of like writing stories on, uh, you know, properties that they already have, which which makes sense. But I digress, and I still love and consume all of the Marvel and Star Wars content. So cool. Well, those are our thoughts on Disney+. Plus. We'd love to hear from you, our audience. So thanks for everyone that's been reaching out to us on Instagram and Twitter. Uh, we really appreciate it. So if you love the show, definitely you know tell a friend, subscribe on our uh, channels, but also reach out to us and let us know what you think. You can find us at Prodex Podcast. That's P-R-O-D-E-X Podcast. Yeah, and of course, if you like the show, be sure to like us and subscribe on your favorite podcast platforms like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, etc. And let us know what products we should review next. See you next episode.